The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. Happy Easter to all of you. I do want to encourage you, man. Welcome you to those of you who are first time, um, and those of you who maybe have been coming a little while, and then those of you who have been coming a long time. would encourage you to take some time to fill this out, all right? Like there's a little thing on here, you fill it out, you put your name and stuff on it. There should be something on your way out the door. You can drop it in. Obviously, if you make a decision today, that would be the most important information you could communicate to us. But our church is growing, man. We got some exciting things happening. And here in the real near future, we'll probably add another service. And so it'll be important to have your information so we can roll out to you and text and say, hey, you know what? Um, we're adding another service. Here's the options. It'll probably be like 9.30 and 11. But we want to be able to push that out to you. So please, by all means, if this is your first time here and you enjoy your experience, Make sure you hand that to me or somebody else on your way out the door today, and we'll make sure that you know what is going on around OPCC. But you didn't uh, come just to hear about that today. Obviously, on Easter, typically, everybody expects to hear a message around the resurrection. Like, we're going to go maybe to the Gospel of Matthew or Mark, Luke, or John and look at the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Today we will not be doing that, I'll be taking you to the book of Malachi. You're like, what? Like Malachi is a very interesting dude in the Bible, a prophet of God, and uh, what I would say to you is we are not a typical church. We celebrate the resurrection every week, not just on Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of the Lord rising up in us on a daily basis. And so when we come to church on Sunday, man, the resurrection is like we realize that without the resurrection, we are all hopelessly lost and uh, desperately in need of, of a Savior. And if it were not for Jesus, there is nothing, no hope for mankind whatsoever. And so what we do around this church is we seek to learn from the Word and walk out our obedience to Christ. And so today what you're going to experience is what you would experience on any week at OPCC. What we like to think of ourselves, we think of the kingdom as Jesus, and especially we could celebrate this on Easter, Jesus, he referred to himself as the gate, I am the gate. And what Jesus did when he was crucified on the cross of Calvary and rose from the dead is he opened up a gate into a city. And we refer to that city, some of the Old Testament prophets, they refer to it as the city of truth or the city of transformation is what I like to think of it as a place where we can move into and we live. And so when we talk about transformation, we don't think about transformation as an event that happens in your life. We think of transformation as a person is formed in the image of Christ when they're born again and they move into a city. And we live in a city of transformation, and we constantly are walking in transformation. We are constantly being renewed in our thinking, in our minds, by the Spirit of God who falls upon us and enables us to consistently go through this process of what theologians call sanctification. We're constantly growing in our faith and knowledge of Christ. And so I live in a city of transformation. I'm not the same person um, that I was last Easter, and if the Lord allows me to stay around another year, I don't plan on being the same 
person that I uh, am next to Easter. Like I am constantly being transformed by the power of the Spirit falling on my life. And so today, um, I want to encourage you and let you know that's what this church is about. We look at the kingdom of God as a city of transformation and OPCC as a suburb within the city, right? So you've come to the suburbs today to hear about the truth of the Word of God. And when we look in the uh, book of Malachi, I've been teaching through this uh, series for the last year. And man, I I wrestled like, because Malachi, man, (laughs) if you know anything about the Bible, right? Malachi is the book in the Bible where you go to and it has that famous passage that deals with divorce and it deals with giving. It's like, why are you talking about that today, Pastor? <laughs> right? Why are you talking about those two topics? Like, people don't like to hear the pastor talk about um, giving or divorce. Well, man, like, th- th- here's the deal is there's so much more in the book of Malachi than just those two things. There's some real strong passages, but when we look in chapter one, we'll find some deep truths that really have to do with uh, transformation. And so if you have your Bibles, or if you want to follow along in version, um, or use your, your worship folder there, has some scripture in it, um, we're going to be looking at Malachi chapter one. Now, Malachi is a relevant word, man. So Malachi is like... He is a transitional prophet, right? He's the last prophet in the Old Testament. And he transitions with the closing of this Old Testament covenant and the opening of the new covenant that Jesus would make a way for us to be able to, uh, even as people who aren't Jewish, to find our way into the kingdom of God. And so um, in Malachi's day, what has happened is he's writing during a period, if you know about the, the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes back and he builds the city walls, right? And so in the book of Nehemiah, we have God doing a work, but there's a problem with the people who live within the, 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 the city of Jerusalem itself. And so Malachi is a prophet that is addressing some of the same problems that Nehemiah is um, dealing with as he is a civic leader that goes back to Jerusalem to help them reconstruct the city as itself. They're rocking out down there this morning, amen? (laughs) Thank the Lord we have a kids ministry, man. We just have to deal with it, right? I'm thankful that she's got them kids down there and got them fired up. But anyway, so... uh, (laughs) So if you, if you feel like, man, what is this? the pastor struggling a little bit today? Man, I'm just trying, I'm torn between two worlds right now. <laughs> and so, and so Malachi, like, man, God uses him to deal with some things that are going on in the, in the nation of Jerusalem. And really what had happened is um, they, they had arrived at a real formal, empty religion. Like, like people were doing the sacrificial things that God required. They were... They were doing them. They were doing them half-heartedly. They didn't even really like to do them, but they felt like you should do them. And so they were kind of like, you know, sometimes people come to church. They don't really want to come to the church, but your wife or your parents make you come. And you just go. And, and then some people come, you know, it's Easter. And a lot of people is like, man, I, I need to go. I don't really, church isn't my thing, but it's Easter. I, I probably ought to go. And that's kind of the way, man. The people in that day were. Their their religious activity was very, very empty. And um, they were walking in a lot of disobedience, even though they were trying to perform 
um, their religious duty. As a matter of fact, they even saw what they were doing for the Lord as a duty, not something they were able to walk in um, in spirit and truth and in the joy of the Lord. And so um, what they had done is they measured God by a human yardstick. It's the same thing we're living in today, man. It's like what they had done is they looked at God and they evaluated God from a humanistic uh, viewpoint of justice and everything. So they brought God down low, man. And they, even though the word and the law that God had given them and called them to obey was a set, had a specific set of um, um, things that they were supposed to follow, they weren't doing it. And they were just like, man, it's okay. Like, and they, were, they resented God. And so the book of Malachi has these statements in it. Um, and it's the word, if, you're, if you study it this week and read it, you look for the word how. And we'll see the word how several times a day. We're only going to deal with, with a couple of them. Um, but, but God says something to them, and then they kind of complain back. The Jewish people are like, yeah, well, how have you done this? And how have you done that? Like, we're trying to serve you, and look at us. We're not a wealthy nation. It doesn't really pay to follow you. And that's sort of the attitude that they had had, and they, they were kind of following um, God and adapting him to the culture in which they lived, and even the priests themselves had started to um, do things that were like, so the religious leadership, people like in today that would be in a position like I'm in, they weren't being faithful to walk in obedience with God, as, as to what God had called them out to do as well. And so they were defiling the altar, and God had said to them that they were defiling the altar, and, and the, the priests kind of have this response like, how are we defiling the altar? And so they were really bringing God down low. And so as we look at that, and we, we're going to work through this first chapter, and I'm going to give you three takeaways, and you'll see how this all applies to you this Easter. But just, just kind of with that in mind, knowing that's what the people's mindset were, like that's what our mind, like if you look at culture as a whole today, like for the first time in the history of, of, of America, a poll came out this last week. The fewer, like below 50% of people attend and are a part of a church. And so like religious activity is declining in America. And it begs the question, well, if God is, is who he is, why is that happening? And I'm going to tell you there are a number of reasons. And the primary reason is, is because the, the preachers and teachers of the word are not being obedient to what God has called them to. And so they're dumbing things down. And when you dumb things down from the pulpit, then you get a dumbed-down parishioner. And parishioners dumb down what it means to follow God. And they begin to adapt God to the culture as opposed to going, man, what does it mean for me to walk in obedience to Christ? What does it mean for me to be faithful to the Lord? Because only then can God allow his power and authority to fall on your life to where he raises you up and uses you as, a, as what you might consider a, a warrior in the citizen or the kingdom of Christ. And so as we unpack that, just kind of think about not only the people's attitude during the time of Malachi, but how similar that attitude is even today. And so we start in verse 1, and I'm just going to work through, um, I think, I don't know, 15, 14 verses or something like that. It says, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. That's good news, man. Like the Lord just starts and he says, I have loved you. It says, but you ask, how have you loved us? 
Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. And so we read that and we go, man, well, that, that, that trips me up a little bit. What do you mean? Um, I, I've loved Jacob and I've hated Esau. Why is God hating on Esau, right? Well, this is covenant language. And really what it means is when it, it talks about walking in covenant, it, it, it really means I have chosen Jacob, I have not chosen Esau. And so when it comes to people in the kingdom, we would look at it and say, man, God would say to some that are in the kingdom, I have chosen these people to be in the kingdom. I have not chosen these people to be in my kingdom, right? And so the people that are in a covenant relationship with Christ are the people of the kingdom. And he said, Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. And so God is saying to Edom, who are descendants of Esau, he's saying, man, back at, we, we studied a, a couple of months ago the, about the Edomites and how they um, had this real strategic place to, that nobody could penetrate, this fortress that they built their city in, and God allowed it to be crushed because of their disobedience and because of their really racism toward the Jewish people, um, Jacob's descendants. And so they were crushed, and God said they would never be rebuilt. And so they're saying, man, we will rebuild, and God is saying, I won't even be with them in that. They will never get that place rebuilt. And it still to this day has never been rebuilt. And then he goes on to say, and so, so like he's, he's leaning into the Jewish people, these covenant people. And now he turns it up a notch, and now he goes after the leadership. And so like this is, this is for the ministers of the gospel in the world today as it, is, as it was for the priests of God in, in the Old Testament. He says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is your priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty." But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, saying, the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifice, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock 
and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. It's like, whoa. Like, that is the word of the Lord, folks. That's not my opinion. Like, that is straight from the book of Malachi, the Lord leaning into us with truth. And so we look at that and we go, man, what am I supposed to take away from that? Now, these people aren't offended by me, all right? They got a role in the service, okay? So you guys relax. It's okay. Uh, they're going out. That, we got a drama plan for y'all. No, we don't. We don't. Uh, but they do have some things they're doing. And so like, we look at that and go, man, the Lord is like leaning in. What are the takeaways for you and I this Easter as we look at this Old Testament prophecy? God, is, God said this through the prophet Malachi. Now watch this. After God says this through this prophet, for four centuries, God does not raise up a prophet. For 400 years. Now, our country's just like, what, 200 years, right? A little over 200. So twice the, as the age of our country, God goes silent. And, and this prophet, interestingly, and we'll learn in a couple of weeks, this prophet prophesies that there would be a prophet raised up in the future in the spirit of Elijah, and he would prepare the way of the Messiah. And so he prophesies about John the Baptist. And so when we look at this, this ancient book that was written through this prophet of God that was raised up, and we, we go, man, what is God saying to me? Like, I came to Easter for you to tell me God loved me, and you're sitting here talking about offering lame sacrifices and doing all these things and defiling the altar, and I'm, I'm a little concerned right now, Pastor. But here's the first takeaway, and it comes out of verse 2. Jesus has loved you. Like, God, the first thing God says in this prophecy, I have loved you. And so he would say to all of us today, and he would say to everybody in America, I have loved you. And so when we think about that, it's good for us to stop sometimes and just, just hit the pause button on life and think about what that means, that Jesus has loved you. You say, well, I don't know if I've ever felt the love of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you felt it or not. He has loved you. Like, you say, well, how has Jesus loved me? Well, that is the message of Easter. When we go to the Gospel of John, in John chapter 15, Jesus says this. It's very important. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit will, that will last. How similar is that to what Malachi says? And we go to the, Jacob, I have chosen. Esau, I have not chosen. Jesus said, man, I, I have lo the greater love is no one than this, that he lays his life down for his friends. And Jesus goes on to teach, I lay my life down for you. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. And so when we hear those words, we see that on Easter, Jesus laid his life down for us. 
Like there's no greater love that a person could do than to lay their lives down for somebody. And so we look at Jesus and his personhood and we say, okay, he's fully man. Well, in theology, we have this term called the hypostatic, hypostatic union of deity and humanity. All of God is in Jesus. Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man. And that's why we look to Jesus and go, man, he is perfect because he did not sin. As we know, and we can relate to sin because we have all committed sin. The scripture says all uh, fall short of the glory of God, man, and, and, and all are sinners. We are all um, um, uh, dead in our sin and trespasses, the word says. But then we come to know Christ and what he, he forgives us of that sin. Now, how is he able to do that? Because he who was fully God, and fully man, and did not deserve death, which is the curse of sin. He did not commit sin, so he didn't deserve the curse. He took the curse upon himself. He died on the cross of Calvary, so Jesus laid his life down for sinners. So Easter is all about Jesus laying his life down for his friends. And so he says in this passage that uh, that's the greatest love that a person can uh, engage in. But not only does he teach us that, he chose us. And so like Jesus lays his life down, and then we know on Easter Sunday, he rises from the dead, and then he chooses us. He chooses us to be part of his kingdom. Not only does he choose us, he doesn't call us servants. He says, I've called you friends. And why does he call us friends? And what does he use the word friend there for? It's because a friend, a servant doesn't know the master's business, but a friend does. And so Jesus has said, man, I've given you all of my word. I made known my business to you, and I've chosen you. And once I laid my life down for you, and I chose you to be a part of my kingdom, then I'm, I'm sharing all of the, the business of the Father with you because he has shared it all with me, and I'm giving you all of the kingdom's business. You have intel into it that the, the people who have not been chosen and have not been transformed by my power have not experienced my love. He's like, man, they don't know about all that business. And he said, I've chosen you. And you would say, well, why would he choose me? And then he tells us in this same passage that you might bear fruit, fruit that will last. So he chose us to go out into the world and to share the incredible truths that he has shared with us. And we see transformation happening in the lives of people. And so we see, we look at that and we go, man, Jesus has loved us. Like, we can't get away from that. And we learn that right here in the book of Malachi, 400 years before the, um, uh, Jesus even shows up on the scene, God uses the prophet Malachi to say, I have loved you. And then he comes in, and, and Jesus shows up, and he says, I have loved you. And Jesus is the last prophet, right? He's the prophet, priest, and king. And so the first takeaway we look at this Easter is, man, Jesus has loved you. Here's the second one, very important. Jesus has no desire for useless fire. None. Okay, there's no desire from God, the God of the universe to have useless fires burned on his altar. God is saying, when we look at this, in verse 10, he says, oh, he says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. You see, the people were engaged in religious observances. The, the people were practicing religion, but God is telling them it's useless. It is a useless fire, and God is saying that he would rather a church 
close its doors than to offer useless fires on the altar. And sadly to say, when we look at our countrymen, when we look at the churches, and we look at what, what the New Testament teaches is power and authority following on the citizens of the kingdom, we have to conclude that there are too many churches that are offering useless fires. One of the reasons you're getting taught out of Malachi today is because I'm not a pastor who will teach you how to offer useless fires. You need to offer a fire that is useless to God, and if you are not doing that, you need to know it. Like, you need to know it. You need, to, you need to be shocked out of your complacency and realize the life that you're living is not pleasing to the God of the universe. And you don't need to be pacified as a spiritual babe in Christ and allowed to live in that disobedience because it's the worst thing that could happen for you as a believer in the kingdom. It's the worst thing that could happen for the kingdom. And God is saying, man, I would rather the temple doors of a place be closed than useless fires being burnt on the altar. And so I would commit to you today, and you want to know like, what kind of church have you come to? You've come to a church where the preachers will teach you how to offer fires that are useless for the kingdom. You have not come to a church where you will be taught how to burn useless fires in your life and it be absolutely no good for the kingdom of Christ. And when the church in America gets that figured out, then people in America will stop this living upside down and they will flip right side up. When you watch the news and you go, man, why? what is wrong with culture? Everybody's doing, they call right, wrong, and wrong, right. Like People don't know, man. They don't know. Why, well, why don't they know? Well, it's the politicians. No, it's not, folks. It's the church, man. Who is God pointing the finger at in this text? He's pointing the finger at the priests because the priests are tolerating the teaching of the people, something that is unbiblical. And that is exactly what is happening in our, our, our culture today, is the toleration of truth that is not biblical. And so things get dumbed down. And now all of a sudden, people are not walking in power and authority and God being who he is. Like God is not American. I don't know if you knew that. Like he's not. Like he looks down at us as a, as a country, and at one time there were many people walking in power and authority, and his blessing could fall on us. And now people, there are not as many people walking on power and authority, so the blessing of God cannot come on us nationally. So it's not a legislative problem that we have in America. It is a spiritual problem. Like that's the problem. And so when we get to people to understand that and bow in submission to Christ as Lord and Savior instead of just Savior, like he's Lord and Savior, then all of a sudden we start to walk in power and authority and the blessings of the kingdom can fall on our lives. And so I, I, I commit to you that I will never preach to you and I will never allow anyone to be on staff who would preach to you. I would never allow anyone to get behind this pulpit and preach to you how to light a useless fire in your life because it's the worst thing that I could do and it would be offensive to God and you would not benefit in the least. And so Jesus has loved you. Jesus has no desire for useless fire. And here's the third and final takeaway. Jesus is a great king calling for pure offerings. Like look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, for I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. That word feared is really, like we would look at that, and it's the, the word rev, like reverent, revered. What does that mean? I am in awe of God. Like I don't walk around afraid of him. I walk around in awe of him. I'm in awe of his power. I'm in awe of the fact that I can sit here and teach you today and know that I can preach in the power and demonstration of the spirit and not just give like this nice little Easter speech and give you a homily. I don't care about homilies. 
Homilies do you no good. What will do you good is the power of the word of God falling upon a man's heart and coming out of his mouth and penetrating your heart and setting you free from the sin that you may be walking in today. Like, that's what the world needs, man. And so, like, when we look at this, Jesus says, I am a great king, and, and my name is to be feared, and I walk in awe of the fact that he would use someone like me to even teach you that. And we should be in awe of the fact that, man, like we come into the, the, the kingdom of God and we're walking through the week and we're doing our, our jobs in the world, man. We are, the, the, the scripture says that we are priests of God. You see, here's the big deal. You say, well, that, that sermon he said right there, man, he is really, like the bro is going after the preachers and the priests today. And you're like, amen. Peter said, that all believers are priests. It's the priesthood of the believer. So this scripture is for all of us, man. And God is saying, I'm a great king, and I, I, I'm calling for pure offerings, and he calls us to walk in that, and, and to be like we to revere him and look at him and go, man, I'm in awe of God. And we have some of our students here sitting on the front row. Um, you, you guys are in, in the musical coming up next week, Right? And you're nervous about it. And you're like, man, we, we're, they're over at Blue Valley West. Hey, man, I mean, come on, girls. You got, girls did good. We're proud of you. Um, when you sing, you need to be in awe of the Lord. You don't need to be thinking about people. When you work and you're doing whatever it is from accounting to investing to building to leading, you need to be in awe of God. You are a priest of God doing that work. And like you represent him on the planet. You, you are to move into the city of transformation and transformation is to be every part of your life and wherever you go, whatever you're doing, however you're living, you are a priest of God and you walk in awe. And when you walk in awe, the Lord will look and go, here is a humble uh, a person that I call a friend. Let us pour some power and authority into that person's life. And then your friends will begin to recognize the power and authority falling off of your life and they will be compelled to be drawn to you. And as they're drawn to you, they will find their way into the kingdom just like the people when Jesus was physically walking the planet were drawn to him. They were drawn to him because he taught like no other person taught. That's why he was so careful about doing his miracles. His miracles were to establish his divinity and he was careful with them because he didn't want people following hard after him because of the things he was doing. He wanted them to follow after him because of the things he was teaching. And they were, man, and they would say, man, nobody has ever taught like this man. He, he's different than anybody we've ever heard in our lifetimes. And so he is a great king calling for pure offerings. In verse 11, he says, my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. That is a huge thing he's saying right there. That is a prophetic utterance of what would happen globally in the kingdom of God. Remember, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. And, and, and so locally, God resided there in the temple, in the um, Ark of the Covenant. That's where his presence was known to exist. In the New Testament, 
um, we become the Ark of the Covenant because now we are purified by the blood of Christ washing our sins away, and now we are indwelt with the Spirit of God just like the Ark of the Covenant was indwelt with the Spirit of God in the Old Covenant. And so when he says, man, my name, like I will receive these sacrifices from all over the world, from where the sun rises to where it sets. That's a prophetic utterance of the gospel making its way out to the Gentile world. And through Christ, the gospel would spread and believers everywhere would be offering um, uh, these sacrifices, um, this incense. It says this, uh, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. And so, like, God is, is saying to us, uh, he's, he's prophesying in Malachi 400 years before it would happen that, he, that, that globally this would begin to happen in the world. And, 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 and no longer would the offerings just be coming from Jerusalem locally, but from places even like Overland Park, Kansas. That is the message of Easter. It is the good news of the gospel. Jesus made a way for all. But it begs the question, how do I offer incense? Now, it's interesting, if you go in the Catholic church and you're in a mass service, they burn incense. Okay, well, why do they do that? It's connected to the Old Testament. We say, well, why didn't we burn incense in here today? Because we're not a Catholic church, okay? Um, would be one reason. And, <laughs> and so, but what's going on? Well, we don't find in the New Testament any direction to burn incense, except one. Let me take it to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 17. He says this, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. We're the incense. Like the incense is burning before you right now. Like the Lord is burning in my heart. I yearn to preach the gospel. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Like there is a fire burning in my heart. It is a fire of the Lord deep down in my soul. And I'm burning up for the Lord. That is the incense that we burn. And so how are we going to offer um, to, to this great king these pure sacrifices? Well, that brings us to the big idea of today's talk. Anything short of laying your life down is a lame sacrifice. That's what this passage is about. They were bringing, see, they, they were supposed to bring the first male that was born of the flock. You know what they did? They were like, they got all these flock. I need to go in. I need to sacrifice to the Lord. Yeah, it went over there as a little gimpy. That one can't see. He's got a bad eye. Won't be able to get any money for that guy out of market. Let's take him and offer him to the Lord. They were taking the lame sacrifices and sacrificing them instead of the first fruit they came that they were prescribed to, that they were told to do. And so like when we look at this and we go, man, how does that translate for us today and in the year 2021? Is it, man, if you don't lay your life down for Jesus, not, not if you don't come to church, not if you don't give an offering, not if you don't like, um, say, I believe. No, you lay your life down like Jesus laid his life down. It's no longer yours. You say, well, Jesus may call me to be a preacher. He may. He did me. Well, I don't know if I want to do that. Lame sacrifice. 
He's a great king. And anything short of your life is a lame sacrifice. And so when we lay that life down, man, we say, here it is, Lord. I'm all of yours. What is happening is the story of Easter. Jesus offers himself for us, and then we offer ourselves for him. And so Jesus, like when we look at that, here's the deal. It's like, it's a testimony of transformation. And so today, to help me preach the gospel, here's the story of transformation at OPCC. Hi, my name is Ashley Rice, and I am choosing to get baptized. Um, it's kind of been on my heart for a little while, and I wasn't sure if it was something that I needed to move forward with. Um, I've been baptized before when I was eight. Um, it was part of the, my church at the time, uh, just to do that, to go through that when you, when you turn eight. And so I did. Um, but I don't feel like I really started my close walk with Jesus until pretty recently. Um, it's always been something that, you know, I went to church on Sundays maybe more out of obligation or that's how we grew up um, going to church. You know, my parents have always had a pretty strong faith in God. Um, and so I, I wanted that for my family as well. Um, but I, I don't, I never really completely made it a priority. Um, and then in 2020, when the world kind of turned upside down with COVID and everything else. Um, I feel like I started feeling this pull on my heart. Um, and I, and I know it was the Lord, you know, trying to move in my life. Um, it, it became really important to me, maybe even a little bit before that to, um, find a church home for my family. I knew it was important for me to encourage church and God with my kids, but, um, you know, we hadn't really established a church home. And so, uh, right, actually right before COVID, we um, started, we went to this one particular church, but it was a fight every Sunday. Um, my husband didn't love it. My kids didn't love it. Um, and I don't know that I loved it. I just went because I felt like that's what we needed to do. And so then COVID hit, we ended up having to stay home. Um, so we watched church online and I think that was like a really safe place for my husband. You know, he got to do church, but he didn't have to go. Um, so um, I, I don't really know like the whole timeline of things, but um, I, we met Shay and Molly uh, through our kids. Our oldest boys played baseball together. And I'd always been super drawn to them. Um, and I knew what they did. I had an idea of what they did with the church, but I didn't want to ask too many questions because I didn't want to feel like I an obligation to come to church with them or to, um, I, I think I, it was safer for me to have, to not have a commitment. Um, even though I wanted it, I, it just wasn't safe, I guess. Um, and so I uh, never really asked too many questions about it. Um, and then we continued doing church from home. And then one Sunday, um, Stephanie and uh, Jason were telling us about this church and OPCC and they loved it and it's, it's Shay and Molly's church and you guys I think you'd really like it um, and so we decided to check it out and that Sunday was the first Sunday that there was like no fighting between all of us about going to church and in fact it was the day of the um, the meeting 
um, to become members of the church. And we stayed for the meeting and we hung out and it just felt comfortable. I didn't feel out of place like I kind of was afraid of, um, especially with trying out a new church. It, it just felt really comfortable. And from that moment on, I mean, we've been every Sunday that, that we, we've been pretty much every Sunday with the exception of two because we were out of town. Um, and so throughout, you know, being a part of this church, I've, I've just constantly felt this pull to get closer to God. Um, I never grew up reading the Bible. I knew it was always important, but um, it was nothing I ever wanted to pick up and read. Just had no desire. And I remember actually my aunt growing up, not growing up, pretty recently, um, telling me about this thirst she had um, for the word and how only reading, I mean, she just like felt so quenched when she would get in and get into the word. And I was just like, that's crazy. Like I can't, you know, that's crazy. I can never imagine me being that like into the Bible. Um, so I'd been praying about not only a church home, which I feel like God had led us to, um, but also maybe some deeper relationships with, with some families. Um, and, uh, and, and some women. And so I guess right before we started coming to church here, I got an invite from a, a girl who lives near me uh, for a Bible study with um, some women. And I thought, you know, this is what I'm praying for. I'm going to go. Um, so I went, uh, and I will tell you, like, every Sunday, I didn't want to go. I, you know, I wanted to be with my family or I had things I had to do. And so it just wasn't always convenient. But I, I went because I made the commitment. And every Sunday, God would speak to me, uh, and it just constantly drew me closer. And so, I, and I had that thirst that my aunt was talking about, about the Bible. I started experiencing that. And so, um, I guess that's, that's kind of where my desire to read the Bible started. And um, so once that was over, I wasn't really sure where to go from there. Shay gave me... Um, some some places to start in the Bible. And so now every day I, I get into my Bible, even if I just have five minutes. So I'm really big with working out. And for me, it's like something is better than nothing. If I have five or 10 minutes, I'm gonna go get in a five or 10 minute workout because that's what I have. Um, and I've learned, and Molly has helped me with this. Uh, if you have five or 10 minutes, go to the Word. That is better than nothing. And so, um, you know, I try to get up before my kids so I can read in peace and that doesn't always happen. So if, if I get up late and I don't have time, if I have five minutes or 10 minutes in my day, I'm going to get into the word and it's, it's been awesome because it's helped me just stay on track with my life, but also continue to want to draw closer to God. Um, anyway, so all of this is happening. The God's work, the Lord's working in my life, you know, throughout 2020 in so many different ways. Um, and I, I'd read a Bible verse here and then I would hear it like five different times that same week. Uh, and I just, I knew that was the Lord trying to talk to me and I could feel it and it just continued to motivate me and encourage me. Um, I will say there was a, I, I, I thought at, um, you know, I thought over the course of my life, like going to church every Sunday and, and God being important to me, I thought that I had surrendered my life to God. Um, and and Jimmy, every Sunday, um, does a call to action. You know, he encourages us to surrender to the Lord. And I thought, well, I, you know, 
he's not talking to me. I've already surrendered my life to the Lord. Um, but looking back, I always wanted to still just be in the driver's seat. So while God was important, reading the Bible was important, um, I didn't want to fully give up control of my life. Um, because, you know, my plans are better than his plans, right? That's what I thought. Um, but there was one particular day. So my sister and I have a business and it's, it's been so important to me to get this business off the ground, like so important to me. And I wanted to be in control. I felt like if I handed over control of my life, maybe that wasn't, that wouldn't be what God wanted for my life. Um, and so, you know, I, I continued to try to be in the driver's seat and try to control everything. Um, so anyway, uh, one day things weren't going well. The business, I mean, we had been working on it so hard. I felt like I was putting everything into it and things weren't happening. Um, on this particular day, my kids weren't being very good. I'm pretty sure Phil and I were in a fight. And I just remember feeling like I'm so tired. I'm so tired of trying so hard and like nothing is working out, you know, very dramatic, but still, um, so I got in the shower because, you know, that's the only place I can really just get away from my four kids and be alone, completely alone without anybody bothering me. And I just started crying and praying. And that was when I just said, I surrender, Lord. Like, And I remember this sick feeling, like not sick, like nervous, like terrified feeling. Like, what am I, what am I signing up for? But I said, whatever it is, whatever you want for my life, I'm yours. Like, I, I surrender. And um, that is when I fully was just transformed. And I didn't, I remember telling Molly, like, I didn't know that I hadn't surrendered my life to Jesus Christ before. I had no idea that I wasn't fully, like, living for him. And now I get it. Um, my life, my eyes are open. And looking back to, you know, how important my business was before all of this, I still love what I do. Um, but it just pales in comparison to this close relationship that I have with the Lord and the, the purpose now I feel, um, with my life. And, um, and I will say ever since then, my business has just exploded. Um, uh, my sister and I's business, we, I do it with my sister is just exploded. Um, we've seen so many blessings and we've been able to bless so many women. Um, and again, if that were to go tomorrow, like, that's okay because <laughs> I have what's most important um, in my life now. And I just want to be baptized because I want to, um, I was telling Jimmy, I am terrified of losing this, like, connection, this fire, this um, desire to be closer to Jesus. I'm just terrified of losing it. And um, I want to take that next step and make that commitment. And I want my kids to see it and I want my kids to have it and my husband and um, hopefully, uh, you know, if, if anybody else is feeling this pull in their heart that they can, I mean, it's difficult for me to be in front of people and do this because it's, it's, I think it's personal. It's a very personal journey and it's hard for me to be in front of people doing it. Um, but if I can, encourage somebody else to follow that pull in their heart or to um, take that step. And even if it's a small step, I'm not saying you have to go out and get baptized tomorrow, but 
if you can just follow what you feel in your heart the Lord's trying to tell you and just take baby steps. So Jimmy talks about um, plunging beneath the fountain and I have I have felt that um, you know when I surrendered my heart and my life to the Lord um, and I, I just am ready to carry out this baptism to really symbolize um, the, the transformation that I have felt in my heart and in my life and I'm just excited to take this next step. So this Easter, Jesus doesn't want your stuff. Jesus doesn't want your service. Jesus wants you. Like any other sacrifice short of laying your life down is lame. It's useless. And so the Lord asks for everything. Why does he get to ask for everything? Because he gave everything. And so like when you finally lay your life down, you too will know what it is to be transformed into the image of Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Today may be a day of salvation for you. And so we give you that invitation to make that decision. A most important part of the service is decision time. Like, what do you, what do, you do with the truth that has been dropped from heaven into your life today? Have you laid your life down for the Lord? If you do, like you would never, ever regret it. And so like, here's the deal is, man, um, here in a moment, I, I'm gonna ask like, if, you, if you're making the decision right now, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and show me that you have. But before we get there, and like, like he doesn't have to be here, but if he's asking, man, and the, the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart, man, swing wide that door and let him in, man. Like, let him in. He is a good, good father, okay? And so, like, just right now, if, if like, you're, you're there and you're feeling a little bit of that nervousness, like Ashley described, and you want to receive the Lord, like, what you, what you do, it's like, it's not a blessing I pray over you. It's your life. You're the only one that can lay it down. And so you just pray and you confess, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm ready to lay my life down and make you Lord. And you pray a simple prayer of confession in your seat right there. And that's what it means, like, to come into the kingdom and then you walk out your obedience as he calls you and reveals things in your life that he wants you to walk out and follow him in. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.